1926, two organizations were born that would shape the future of performing arts in Youngstown, Ohio. The Little Youngstown Symphony performed its first public concert, starting a legacy that would become the Youngstown Symphony Orchestra. Later that year, the doors to Stambaugh Auditorium opened for the people of Youngstown and surrounding areas. These are the stories, performances, and conversations of artists and supporters of these historic organizations. This is the 1926 Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 1926 Podcast. Today you'll hear from Connor Bogart, the guest artist for the February 4th Broadway and Beyond Youngstown Symphony Orchestra Concert. Tickets for Broadway and Beyond can be purchased at youngstownsymphony.com. Now let's welcome Connor to the show. Good morning. How are you? Morning, Kelly. I'm good. How are you? I'm good as well. All right. So let's get started. Can you please share a bit about how you got your start in the music realm? Sure. So I actually started out as a classical violinist, ironically. Um, I started playing the violin when I was five years old. And um, they don't even give you a real violin when you're five. You get a, uh, I had a Cracker Jack box wrapped up and to look like a, a violin so I didn't break it. Uh, but I was a classical musician for 20 years. I didn't start singing until high school, which is extremely late these days for um, what so many of the kids that I work with sometimes um, start singing. They all start taking lessons at, you know, four or five years old. And I didn't start singing until I was a teenager, mostly because I don't know, I was, I thought maybe it'd be easier to get girls to pay attention to me if I was singing rather than playing the violin. Um, But being able to be a musician for that many years, um, when I did start singing, it made it an awful lot easier to transition into vocals. Mm -hmm. And um, that all started ironically, again, uh, with Youngstown State University, my very first voice lessons that I ever took. Um, um, I drove down to Youngstown State and every week I would go there and take um, voice lessons. And I saw my very first symphony orchestra concert with a vocalist, I believe, with the Youngstown Symphony Orchestra. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I had in all of my research, I had no idea that um, you had taken classes at YSU. No, nobody does. That's why this is so exciting for me to go back because I'm from Ashtabula County for you know 20 years. I live 40 minutes north of, of Youngstown. Half my friends from uh, Ashtabula went to Youngstown State. And uh, yeah, that was the beginning of um, kind of uh, my training at Youngstown. And um, that's why it's kind of exciting for me to come back. Wow. That's awesome. I love it. Um, so did you have a... Uh, favorite on-campus place to to eat or have coffee at YSU? Ironically, so when you go down there as a high school student and you're not in college because obviously I didn't go to YSU, you don't know anything. Everything's scary. (laughs) You don't know any of the the rules or any place to go. All I remember is is cliche as it is, is uh, we would go down in a group from Ashtabula with several of our vocalists to take lessons at the same time because we were barely driving. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we would always go to the McDonald's right off of campus. And I remember that very much. So there was a big um, high school vocal competition called Nats, the National Association of um, Teachers um, uh, for Singing. And I remember waiting for the results. I ended up um, winning um, that competition. And I remember waiting for the results sitting in that McDonald's somewhere near campus. And if I went back now as an adult, I don't know if I could find it or if it was <laughs> even still there. But, you know, it's McDonald's is always exciting for, you know, teenagers going down to YSU. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's definitely gotten a facelift since then, yeah. too. 
<laughs> I can imagine. So how did you, like, did your parents throw the violin at you or were you just curious as a kid? No, my parents did it. Um, basically, my parents who are not musicians at all, um, they, I, I was one of four kids. They basically said, all right, you know, we'll put the, each one of them into a sport and then an instrument and try to make them as well-rounded as possible. And maybe something will, um, will stick as a hobby. And so ironically, uh, for my oldest brother, it was always sports. Um, but for the rest of us, it was really music. Um, we all started in different instruments. My sister played piano, my little brother played cello and I played the violin. It was just something to do, but I stuck with it the longest. And I ended up having, I guess the most natural knack for music and, um, then turned it into a career, which is incredibly difficult. I can't tell you the amount of people who were unbelievable musicians mm -hmm. when we were younger, who just weren't able to transition it to an actual career where you pay your bills and your mortgage and all that, because mm -hmm. it's, it's a whole different set of skills. But um, my parents were just trying to make us as well rounded as possible. And um, now to see them come back to the concerts, um, which of course they will be for this one because it's so close to home. My mom is the state senator for uh, Portage County as well. So she'll be there uh, representing is going to be, it's just so exciting to, to see their faces when I go back to perform when they thought we just gave them a little Cracker Jack violin trying to you know give them something to do. So I think they're excited for how far it's come. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine. What did you, what do you think that it was that you did differently as opposed to, you know, those other people that you've said have a talent, but just don't end up being able to make it into a career. That's very easy. Um, and I know it's cliche, but I never stopped. Um, I never gave up. And I don't say that in a social media flowery sort of way. I say it because um, I didn't have health insurance for 17 years. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have um, any money for, you know, at least 10 years of that. I had to go back and build. I built my own recording studio in Ashtabula um, in an old abandoned milk house on my parents' farm because I needed to record albums and I needed to record auditions. And I didn't have any money because people wouldn't pay, you know, the art. So you get to a certain point where your connections are big enough, where your skills are big enough. And one of my biggest skills, as I always grew up as a performer, was I performed anything and everything. And I was always very good at singing multiple different styles of music. And that's because in high school, I got into musical theater. And then in, in college, I was an opera major at one of the most prestigious conservatories, uh, the Eastman School of Music in New York. And then I came back and I started a rock band. And when I had a rock band, I eventually was the opening act for everyone from Huey Lewis to News and um, uh, Mariah Carey. I was her opening act. And mm -hmm. And then I went back to do uh, more theater and Broadway type stuff. And now I sing on cruise ships all over the world. And when I was on ships, um, someone said, hey, there's more work if you can learn Chinese. And so for the past four years before the pandemic, I learned Chinese and went did a whole show in Asia for four years. So it's the fact that I was always willing to put in the work mm -hmm. and I was always willing to sacrifice because there's a lot of people who say, I just can't do this. I need a regular paycheck and I need health insurance and I do have it now, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I need a real life. And um, that gets very difficult. Yeah, I, I am sure that it does. So if someone asked you for advice on how to make it a career, is that what you would tell them just to, to not stop and just keep going? I would. There were a few things I would tell them. And it's happening now because I just started um, getting to the point where I'm starting to not teach, but train 
I guess, a new generation of vocalists. And how that happens is there's a very large um, sort of American Idol for high school kids all the way through actually Portage County as well every year in Cleveland. It's called Shining Star Clee. And it's a huge vocal competition for high school kids. And I am, I've been the artistic director of it for going on my third year. And it's at Playhouse Square. And it's this big, it, the winner gets $10,000 scholarship. And because of that, I'm starting to talk to parents and training these kids. And inevitably, outside of the performance questions, mm -hmm. how to hit this note or how to um, bring the song to life, I start getting questions about, hey, you know, uh, what does it take to be, to get to where you're at, to, to be a professional musician. And honestly, it's not what a lot of people think. Not giving up is a huge part of it, but also it is answering emails, um, being easy to work with, showing up uh, when you say you're going to show up, um, being responsible, um, being the one who's there when someone else flakes out mm -hmm. um, and being extremely easy to work with because there's a lot of divas um, in this <laughs> industry. And a lot of them don't have the right to be. They don't have the, the careers to be, but they still will be. Oh, this is difficult. I couldn't hit this high note because the sound wasn't right. And I say, are you sure it was because the sound band <laughs> messed up or was it because you just, you know, didn't wake up early enough or something like that? And that goes a long way with any industry, being polite, hardworking, answering, the phone, showing up when you're going to say, and networking. A lot of the work I, I originally got that led to huge parts of my career mm -hmm. were just emails where I sent a YouTube video of me auditioning to a random person for a random company. And, um, and only a small percentage looked at it, but someone did eventually. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's definitely commendable. That's for sure. So you've also worked with another guest artist who is no stranger to Youngstown, which is Jim Brickman. Um, yes. What was that like? And how did, how did you end up with him? So I'm actually, ironically, still working with Jim Brickham because now he is a celebrity judge for the show I just mentioned that I'm the art director of, Shining Star Klee, and he, he, he helps actually choose the winner of that show. He's one of those. So ironically, I'm still working with Jim. It was fantastic. I had grown up, you know, listening to Jim. And when I was younger in the, the late 90s, I, uh, when he had all of his huge hits, I was like, oh my gosh. And then I found out he's from Cleveland. And at that point, he was still li he was living in LA. He would come back to do his big shows. Um, whereas now he's back in Cleveland and it happened, I think maybe like six years ago, six or seven years ago, um, he had a competition um, to be the uh, guest vocalist at his concerts. And he does it several times for all over the country. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, hey, you know, this is this is my shot. So I sent in a video on his website and I couldn't get anyone who knew him, even though he was, I knew he was from the area. And in it, I said, hey, I'm from Cleveland mm -hmm. and um, I have always been a big fan and I would love to sing with you. And sure enough, um, oh, two weeks later, I got a message back from his team and they said, listen, we would love love to have you um, be a guest. Jim has chosen you, but also we're wondering if you can do it for the, his big homecoming show, which was New Year's Eve in Canton, actually, at the uh, Palace Theater there. And I was just elated. <laughs> and so I got to meet him and meet the whole team. And we had a fantastic New Year's Eve show. I got to sing two of his songs. Um, and uh, and then, um, yeah, I got to work with them years later on and picking the kids for this competition. So now we work together as sort of peers. Um, uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, that's great. Uh, he uh, seems like a very personable and fun guy to be around. So I can just imagine what being backstage with the two of you is like. <laughs> 
He is. He is. It's always a good time. And I'm, and I keep telling him, um, I want to go back and sing for him again, because he's got his core group of like two or three peoples and uh, peoples, people, Laura Cochran, who has been his best friend since high school. She's his main vocalist. And um, so uh, he doesn't have a lot of guest spots anymore, but man, if I can jump in and take one, I told him I'm always ready. And his biggest shows are always in Ohio because Mm -hmm. obviously that's where he's from and he moved back here. So. Yeah, it's awesome when you see people who are from an area yeah. making sure that they're bringing it back to that area. So what is, uh, what's your favorite jingle that you've written? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so I think that if I had to describe that or pick one, it would probably, the jingles that I've written, and I write a fair amount of jingles, haven't gone nearly as far as the jingles, some of the jingles that I've sang on that I didn't write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, I probably, ironically, I uh, um, for Nickelodeon, I wrote a couple of jingles. Um, and one of them, I think, was on Blues Clues. Um, and that one was pretty good. But I, they don't compare to the Transformers theme song that I did. Um, I did the theme song for this huge children's show, um, uh, a Blaze and the Monster Machines, which is this like cartoon uh, four-wheel drive show that's become huge. I, I sang the theme song for that. And yeah, probably it's like Lola Blues when that comes on here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I wish I wrote that one because if I wrote that one, I'd probably be living in a mansion right now. But I did <laughs> sing on it. Um, and uh, gosh, every other week there's new ones that I sing on for American Greetings. Um, and American Greetings being based in Cleveland, I've been singing on their jingles for 10 years. And that's every time you open up a, a card, um, there's a singing chipmunk um, singing in Italian or whatever. Uh, uh, that is usually always me. And, and in there, honestly, it's funny and embarrassing to say, but my biggest selling jingle probably of all time is for an American greetings card. Mm-hmm. where I am a cartoon pair of underpants with googly eyes that um, bounce around and I sing happy birthday and opera, bro, happy, happy underpants to the happy birthday dance. And as silly and as ridiculous as that is, that card has been for sale on every Walmart and Target in the world for going on probably seven years. So that's probably my biggest claim to fame as being a cartoon pair of underpants. Yes, I do remember seeing that on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't know. Hey, I'll take what I can get. You know, it's work is work. Yeah, exactly. I don't blame you yeah. one bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you've been in, in many theater productions. Um, what is that world like um, just in and of itself and also in comparison to more like the, the musical side of it? So... Yeah, it's a it's a different world, but it's also the same. You run into a lot of the same people. Um, uh, the musical world is how I started performing. I still do it when I can. It's difficult to do now because I have to take so much time off from my um, touring schedule, which is now, especially because I'm a headliner on cruise lines, is um, every week I'm in a foreign country. So it's harder to do now. Um, but um, I've done it even just a, like, Three years ago, um, I was in a big production of Rock of Ages. I've done shows from uh, Miss Saigon to Les Mis to West Side Story. Actually, with the Akron Symphony Orchestra, we did the concert version of of West Side Story. And I finally got to play Tony, even though I had grown up and aged out of the role. They said (laughs) it's a full concert version with the symphony. And I got to actually play that just a few years ago in Akron. Um, It's I love it. And mostly because you get to act. Um, 
What I have to do when I'm with the symphony doing so many of the same Broadway songs is I have to try to take all of the character and all of the storyline and put it into a very concise, simple, funny or dramatic or romantic Mm-hmm. Um, four minutes for the audience and then quickly change modes and go to a different show. Whereas in the show itself, you get to be in character. You have a cast with you that you become friends with. You get to um, be dramatic. You get to bring the songs to life. You get a break. That's the thing what a lot of people don't realize when I do the big Broadway concerts with the symphony, which I am doing with the Youngstown Symphony, is I'm doing the 11 o'clock huge big numbers from 10 different musicals all almost in a row. And I almost get no break. Whereas in a real musical, there would be the big 11 o'clock number. Then there'd be the romantic duet. Then I'd get a break. <laughs> then there'd be someone else singing. And then I'd get a break. And then it would be the funny song. I have to do them all back to back to back to back to back. So it's a lot harder doing the symphony shows where I'm doing the same Broadway material. But man, I will never give up um, theater and missing it. And I'm sure I will go back to it. And now that I'm in an interesting um, age range where I'm going from the young uh, romantic leading roles to trying to being too young for the older uh, roles, I'm, I'm just waiting to, to get older so I can start taking on some of those juicy roles. Sure. Yeah. What songs are you excited about um, performing for the February 4th concert in Youngstown? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is, is we've done this show a lot. So I know these songs like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, probably my favorites. Well, my favorite, my two favorite all the, t- all the time. I'm sorry. Every time we do this show, my two favorite songs um, are two big, big theater numbers. And one of them is, is unknown outside of the theater community. It's from a show called The Drowsy Chaperone. It's a comedy show. Mm-hmm. And it is... Um, it's called Adolfo, and Adolfo is, uh, he's, he's got an accent, he's sort of French, he is very <laughs> arrogant, he's the world's greatest lover, he is the world's greatest vocalist, and it's nice because I get to get in character and kind of berate the audience, and they love it. I have them <laughs> sing a little bit, and I tell them they are terrible, and then I say, I'm going to sing it, and then I sing this whole song talking about how wonderful I am, and to sing my, and I have the audience sing my name back to me, and they love it, and it's hilarious. Um, And then on the absolute opposite end, um, I always close the show with one of the most dramatic and difficult songs to sing in all of all time in musical theater, which is a song called Bring Him Home from Les Miserables. And it's the it is the pinnacle high, high falsetto prayer to God. Dramatic can hear a pin drop Mm -hmm. um, and I will be closing the show with Bring Him Home as well. And then the best part is, is we add in the beyond. The show is called Broadway and Beyond Mm -hmm. because we add in so many great songs um, that have been in jukebox musicals on Broadway that we can do for the audience. And that's everything from, you know, Hey Jude to uh, um, Sweet Caroline to one of my favorites we haven't done in a long time. And we got the arrangement to do it in Youngstown, which is Copacabana. And I'll Mm -hmm. tell you what, you haven't lived until you've done Copacabana with a 50 piece symphony orchestra behind you. And those trumpet sections it just there's nothing that compares to the sound that comes out of there and the best part is as I told you know maestro Carl Topolo my good friend who is going to be conducting I said you know all these extra songs have been in musicals recently um, there was a Beatles musical there was a, a musical called Copacabana so technically they all fit but those are where we can have some real fun because you don't want to get too dramatic all the time Right. Yeah. And I, I'm sure the, the audience will just love those, those poppy songs as well as the, the Broadway songs. They do. Cause I make them sing back. <laughs> uh, what's it like working with Carl? Carl is my mentor, um, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. And he's become like family to me. Um, and I would have never expected that because I originally, he was uh, a shot in the dark email mm-hmm. and um, I had 
seen the Cleveland Pops Orchestra where he is the main uh, artistic director. He's the artistic director of several orchestras. Um, and I had seen him and I had seen the orchestra. And when I started, uh, I did one symphony. I think I got in with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, which was a big deal, but it was through a random audition. And um, it wasn't so much they knew who I was. They just needed someone who could hit the notes and sing the songs. And it was a one-time a one-time gig. And I thought, I really want to do this. I love being in front of an orchestra. I love the banter, which I couldn't do when I was younger. A lot of being with an orchestra is talking, making jokes, being interesting. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I've got to get in with this Cleveland Pops Orchestra and this guy, Carl Toplow. And this was probably 12 years ago. So I sent an email. And I sent some videos and I didn't think I was going to get a response. And sure enough, I got a response and he brought me into the office and we talked about some repertoire in my background and he and his wife, Shirley, um, who is fantastic and is also a family to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was maybe um, a few months later, they said, well, we want you to come in and sing a solo and a duet with a female at one of our concerts. And I was just so excited at Severance Hall in Cleveland, which is this big, incredible hall that my great grandfather actually helped build. Oh, wow. And that went very well. And then um, a few months later, there was uh, maybe a fall-based concert, and they said, we want you to do um, maybe four or five songs. I thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible. All on my own, I did those. And then I got a call for the Christmas concert, and um, I remember Carl said, well, what do you what songs do you know? I said, oh my gosh, Christmas songs are my life. It's my favorite thing to sing. I know every Christmas song. You tell me and I'll sing all of them. And I said, how many songs do you want me to sing? And he said, well, we want you to sing all of them because you're going to be the entire show. You're going to be the only vocalist. And I was just, and that's how I became the first vocalist uh, for Carl and the Pops. And since then I've sort of become the main vocalist for the Cleveland Pops Orchestra for 10 years. I do at least five to seven concerts for them every year. I'm doing their big concert in April. Mm -hmm. um, and also Carl and I have traveled all over the country with orchestras as he goes to guest conduct. Um, we've been with the Charlotte Symphony two years ago, the Fort Worth Symphony, the um, the uh, the NRO, um, which he runs in Breckenridge, Colorado, and we have performed everywhere. So I know exactly what he's going to do, and he knows exactly what I'm going to do without us even looking at each other, where we're just a few feet apart. And we've, we've had some great, fantastic times. Awesome. So my last question um, is going to be, what do you enjoy listening to, like just in the car or when you're traveling? Is it is it music at all? Is it podcasts? What, what do you have going on in there? It's ironic that you say that. 100% it would be podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, or WKSU um, 89.7 is what I listen to. I listen to the NPR um, basically all day. Um, so I do listen to um, a fair amount of music. I had an issue years ago, and I'm getting over it a little bit now where it's difficult for me to listen to a lot of music because I can't function, I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't say that to seem, oh, because I have this you know, savant mind or thing. Yeah. I do not. It's just that when I hear music, I either I'm concentrating so much on it or I am locked in on it in my mind. And I'm if it's a song I love, I imagine that I'm singing it and it gets, it's just, it's a, it's kind of exhausting. Um, it, it takes I don't always love it because I can't just relax. So I do, I have all my favorites. When I listen to music, I mean, my favorite mus musicians are uh, typical being a teenager in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. You know, like I went to the Alanis Morissette concert at Blossom because I love her. Mm -hmm. I'm my number one artist of all time now for the last 10 years is Bruno Mars. Um, mm -hmm. I was an opera major, so um, I used to listen to a fair amount of opera, although it was always sort of like the rock star guy who was trying to do opera. Mm -hmm. um, I love country music because I grew up in Ashtabula on a pig farm. Um, I love, you know, 80s hair metal and uh, 
um, and just, you know, I'm now that I'm, I'm actually writing music for film and TV. Now um, I, I, I listen to a lot of pop music, but in general, now, if I'm driving in the car, which I used to have to drive a lot, cause I lived in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I'm usually always listening to podcasts, um, a lot of NPR podcasts um, and uh, scripted series where it's um, like, uh, you know, like old radio shows where it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's a monster and, and uh, okay. there's, or there's something happened. Cause there's a lot of those coming back now, brand new ones with huge celebrities because of podcasting, how big it's gotten. So yeah, for sure. What is uh, what's your favorite podcast to listen to? Okay, so I listen to a lot of them by Q Code, which is Q Code is like the HBO of podcasts, and they have all these scripted dramas. And right, um, uh, they have a, sh- a show called uh, uh, the Left Right Game, which is this unbelievable podcast about you know you're in a small town and you have to follow the exact same amount of turning left on every street you come to and then turning right and left and right. And within mm-hmm. some period of time, you suddenly end up in an alternate world. And there are strange people just waiting, like hitchhikers, to talk to you. And they say, "Don't ever talk to him or don't look." in the eyes and it's so dramatic and exciting um i also i also just i'm a big sucker for like um big npr podcasts like this american life mm-hmm. uh hidden brain i love learning things um in a way that doesn't make it seem like you uh, where it's getting too uh deep and too heady where it's interesting because there's interviews with interesting people i love um business wars that talk about um huge different companies like Domino's and pizza hut that actually um how they uh netflix and blockbuster how they mm-hmm. actually um uh, one took over the other and it, i love stuff like that so so is there anything else that you want to plug or promote or even anything that's going on in cleveland yeah i guess what would be um what would be going in cleveland the the big one to plug would be yeah, that would be april 2nd with mm-hmm. carl Topolo and me um, some of the same songs, even new ones at the beautiful Severance Hall in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, it is a Saturday night, April 2nd, probably at like 7 or 7.30 p.m. We are doing a, the big comeback Broadway show um, with the Cleveland Pops Orchestra for um, for Severance Hall. And I'm so excited to do it and, and be back. And I'll tell you what, it was even harder because we were supposed to do a lot of the fun pop stuff for New Year's Eve. But um, as COVID changes everything day by day, we had to cancel cancel that show only because it wasn't the show itself because everyone is masked and comes in vaccinated or whatever we need. Um, It's because there was a dance party afterwards and it's just too many people, you know, crammed into a small space. So we had to cancel the show and that was just a few weeks ago and that was hard. So this one is on, we are going to be there rain or shine and um, April 2nd, I'm so excited to um, be back at Severance Hall. And that's probably the next big show. Perfect. Well, I will find the event page online and I'll link it in the description of this episode. Um, So Connor, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure speaking with you and we look forward to seeing you on February 4th. That's great. I can't wait. We'll see you then.